Welcome to Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. Get ready. We're about to live in your head rent-free. Hello, Otterites. This is episode 122. I am Martin. And I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. Welcome back, everybody. This is episode 122. As I said, we are doing pop culture, and we're doing movies. Movies you gotta watch. This is our third installment of that. Uh, Show prep, I was trying to come up with a, a good way to put it, because last time was, what do we call it, Electric Boogaloo? Well, we missed. We we, we That's should, right. have, should have we it. should have done movies to Electric Boogaloo, yes. uh, obviously because of the break into and the, the, the became, rhyme. Yeah, that became kind of a meme for any sort of second go around at something. Um, so we missed that. And we were going to do it this time, but it doesn't rhyme. It doesn't rhyme, so it doesn't make any sense to call this Movies yeah. 3 Electric Boogaloo. Yeah, so I, you know, I was trying to come up with something. It's like, you know, Movies 3, what's it got to be? You know, it just doesn't work. It's, it's right. hard to come up with something off the yeah. top of my head. So, it's movies, though. Yeah, if the concept is movies we always have to watch. When they're exactly. on your streaming service, not cable anymore, <laughs> when they're on your streaming service on a live channel... You gotta stop. Right. It's one thing, you know, to we don't even always necessarily seek these movies out right. on the streaming service. Uh, because, you know, I can't remember the last time I purposely went and watched one of these movies because I, I don't really sit down with time to do a whole lot of that anymore. And when I do, it's usually watching a series that I'm trying to get Catch through. Up, get caught up on, uh, yeah. So, but when we're watching some kind of broadcast, whether it's cable or streaming now, because there's live Streaming. Yeah, your Pluto or your Sling or your That's whatever. That's right, Tubi. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's a bunch of things. Uh, if it's on, we have to watch yes. it. Yes, and we've seen it so many times, and it's so good, we could watch it again and right. again and so again. It doesn't matter where and we it's see it. it's just as good, if not better, because you know what's coming. You know, five minutes into it, 20 minutes into it, five minutes from the end of it. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Gotta so see it. We're passing by all of the... It's must-watch TV. Yes, we're passing by... The uh, love after lockup and the uh, Kardashians and all that, and we're going right to these films. Exactly. So, is that what that show's called? Love after lockup, or uh, I don't know. Oh, okay. we could go on and on on such things. Well, That's you know, right. my six hundred pound life, uh, hoarders, uh, any of those kind of uh, glimpses into the the. Here comes Honey Boo Boo. Yeah, well, I, you know, I despise that show for one Absolutely. reason. I despise it anyway. But what's I your mean, reason? <laughs> well, because. I, to me, it seems like that show is built around the premise of making fun of those people. Mm-hmm. That's all right. Absolutely. But they don't seem to realize it. And it, it to me, lies. it seems extremely exploitive. Well, they all are. There's the I thing. Mean, I mean, yeah. in some of the worst ways, because you're talking about a child. That's Honey right. Boo Boo was a child. That's right. Well, at the time of the, the filming, she yeah, was. Yeah. She was uh, eight or something like yeah. that initially. And to me, it was just, it was just gross. Absolutely. In that sense. It's, it's it's everybody making fun of them. And for some reason, they allow it and like it. Which right. shows... Well, as we talked about in our breakfast, yeah. uh, you know, uh, people get different things out of different things. That's you right. Know, you know, why we do things, there's lots of reasons. Yeah, where do you get your emotional satisfaction if it's being the center of attention, even when that attention is to humiliate? That's, yeah, that's not what they see. It's still it's, the center of attention. It, yeah, it's still fulfilling that's that right. emotional I'm need. I'm a TV star. Exactly. Yeah. So anyways, that's... Yeah, so, skip know, a bit, brother. Yeah, that's the stuff that we skip because it's it's not emotionally satisfying for us. Very well put. Very but a, kind. A well crafted fictional narrative. That's where we are. That's right. So, boy, that's not a very good lead into the ones I'm going to pick. <laughs> <laughs> so let's just dive right in. Dad, right. Dad, so dad, brother. as captain, uh, so just to get some housekeeping out of the way, we are uh, here at uh, Studio M again in the 34th of the Nakatomi Tower. 
uh, around the corner from Ellis behind the waterfall. Exactly. Uh, Got to make sure we get that in. So uh, We'd get it in at Bourbon Break if we didn't get it in. Up. That's true. That's true. So we're very comfortable here at Studio That's M. right. So Martin has made some changes to Studio M, and we're liking it. Yes, very much uh, so. Yes, we've abandoned the idea of the conference table, and now we're just crashed out here on the couch in the recliner, and... Yeah, uh, Robert's living large in my recliner here. Yeah, I'm telling you, it's especially for the captain's chair. This this rocks. It's a, it's a big recliner. It is. Yes. So, uh, as captain, I am going first on this. Uh, it's one of those few episodes where where Robert goes first. And uh, so, as I was telling the guys in the show prep, uh, we don't do a whole lot of show prep, uh, especially just, for this episode. Especially for this episode. But sometimes we like to, you know, we like to know what we're each going to talk about, uh, just to give us some fertile. Uh, Make sure we don't choose the same thing. You know? Yeah, there's a lot to that too, because yeah. we could. We certainly could. <laughs> there, uh, there's much overlap in our. There phase. is, and uh, you know, I was saying that I have a hard time coming up with these movies anymore, simply because one, I just don't have a whole lot of time, and honestly, I'm not really watching a whole lot of live television anymore, so I don't really happen upon these. And some of the stuff that I used to have in this category, like, you know, when Star Wars first was made available on television, that was a novelty. And as much as I love any of those movies, I would stop and watch them. But they've been on, you know, every five minutes for the last 15 years. It's not so novel anymore. And, you know, I could probably quote that movie like Francis quotes any Star Trek episode. Mm-hmm. So it's and, not... And a, and a very important point with the television broadcast of Star Wars... Han fired first. Yes, Han fired first, yes. Okay. Greedo didn't really fire at all. Exactly. So So if you've seen this on television and you've seen that sequence, it's wrong. Exactly. If you don't know that, it's 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 fake news. It's fake news. It's fake news. Han fired first. That's right. It's a conspiracy, and I, for one, choose not to participate in that conspiracy. (laughs) So... uh, We've got some that we stayed away that are kind of common ones. I think I derailed Robert a little bit. He did, just a little bit. (laughs) Um, But, you know, we started talking about, you know, one that I've not talked about is uh, absolutely one of my all-time favorites from the 80s. And uh, and that's right. I mean, 80s is my, that's my period. We were in college in the 80s. Let's do it. Let's do it. We we can talk 70s and 90s okay, but 80s was where we came to ascendancy. That's right. You know, don't you kind of feel like you can rule the world when you're in college? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's absolutely. Everybody wants to rule the world. Let's see. Uh, I was very much trying to tee that up for you. So So, I put it on the tee and you knocked it on the green. Very good. The the boy, the spawn, the male spawn, (coughs) he is a huge fan of 80s music and loves the alternative. Well, apples don't fall far from the trees. Come on. Well, and and the eldest spawn is as well. Yeah, there you go. And so they have been trading playlists (laughs) of 80s music. There you go. So... Oh, oh no, I got that beat. I got that beat. Bjorn uh-huh. bought a Walkman off eBay. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> An actual real-life Sony cassette Walkman. Nice. Rated my cassette tapes and now walks around Boo's campus with a genuine Walkman. Nice. Wow. It's, it's, oh my God. Well, you know, Bible came man. back. Maybe cassettes will, too. They're back. Uh, wow, that's awesome. That's awesome. So, you know, they've traded. He's gotten her to listen to some Pearl Jam, which she was never really into. Yeah, um, but she nice, appreciates it now. 90, not, 91, 92, you know, right there. Uh, you know, it's still not her, her go-to, but, uh, you know, uh, she's getting together a playlist of, for him of Susie and the Banshees. There you go. Uh, and I suggested a couple of others I knew he wasn't hugely into, but should enjoy. 
And so, you know... You know, Ivar, uh, 25 years old, and Nirvana and Green Day. Yeah. And yeah. Stone Temple Pilots, that's his deal. That, that's some good stuff. That's some really good stuff there. So anyways, uh, and you know, this music is in the background of a lot of these movies. So especially anything... Oh, oh it's so woven into yeah. John Hughes films and so many 80s films that, that 80s... Because it's a time of visualizing music. MTV yes. is the scene. And so the music is really every everywhere. Oh, yeah. I Not want just the radio. Huh? Not just the radio, but it is part of everything a team was doing in the 80s. Right. And so a lot of these, especially the John Hughes, as you mentioned, has a lot of this alternative music in it, which is, you know, for me, that's fantastic. So the two that I'm picking uh, are, are in this 80s genre. Now, the first one is, I think, my all-time favorite 80s teen comedy. It's not as famous as the others, but it's got one of the most famous actors from this era, yes. and actually still successful since then, and that's John Cusack. Yeah. Love me some John Cusack in anything. I don't care what it is. Gross Point Blank is kind of his... Yes. You know, his, his top, his, it, uh, his zenith. It, it, it is one... Now, you know, that could be one of the... the one, that's not where I'm going to go, but that's one that I could uh, watch. Yeah. So uh, I'm going with Better Off Dead. Love Better Off Dead. Oh, yes. Better Off Dead is about this uh, this kid who uh, he's got a hot girlfriend somehow, and she dumps him for the captain of the ski team. Yes, because he's a spastic narf bag all the time. Exactly, which is why you wonder how he ever got her in the first place. Uh, and so the whole movie is him trying to figure out how uh, to win her back. What, wasn't the backstory she had just moved to the town? Yes. It was kind of the first boyfriend she had in the town. Yeah, she just moved in, and, and uh, uh, it's a great scene where he, he goes up and introduces himself, and she touches his no her nose. Just, you know, you got a slight itch. You just do this, uh, or I just slide my finger across my nose. And so she's like, she touched her nose. He's thinking this to himself while they're talking. You can't hear what they're talking about. Because she's yeah, they're the having this mental the conversation. Monologue is the dialogue that the the viewer hears. Exactly. I mean, you can hear a little bit of you know, you, but that's not the important part. And so she touched her nose. Oh my god! Is there something on my face? Oh god, no! Please don't let it be a booger. Anything but a booger. So then, as he does this, you know, checking, he checks to see if he's got a booger hanging off of his nose. And then she does the same thing. He's like, oh my god! He touched his nose. Do I have something hanging off my face? And so by the end of this short conversation, they're both just just hands going all over their face and, and wiping things off, and there's nothing there. Yeah, <laughs> it's, this, it's that teen angst about that neurotic good. need. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, that neurotic need to, to yeah. not look like a doofus in front of the opposite sex. Uh, it's a, gr a great funny scene. And so Blaine, Blaine Myers. Lane Myers. Lane Myers. I said Blaine, yeah. I said Lane, Blaine is a different character in one of these movies. Lane Myers, he's got this weird family mom doesn't know how to cook uh and that's one of it's the running a, jokes kim darby from yes. uh true grit fame. true, grit. true grit and also she was miri in star trek you beat me too i beat you too yeah, about to that yes. that's right uh and uh david augenstiers is the the dad charles emerson winchester from the third. yes charles emerson winchester the, the third. third yes that's right and he is just, he is phenomenal he's a dad who's trying really hard but he's totally clueless. Yes. And he's, you know, very authoritarian and all that. I know you kids are into this disco thing. Disco? Come on, Dad! <laughs> so, it, yeah, it's just, there's so many quotable lines. Yeah, well, it, you know, this, it's, it's a quirky, oddball 
doesn't fit with anything else because it's just so. It's so a farce. Many, it's a farce. It's a farce. Yes, yeah, that's a very farce. good way of it, it's, yes. it's a farce. It's st- uh, Savage Steve Holland, right? Yes. And so there's lots of cartoon elements to this. Yeah. Uh, Lane has a very vivid imagination, and it's often borne out in cartoons. Yes, because he's a sort of an artist. And, yes. But he skis as well. That's kind of the centerpiece of this, is skiing the K-12. That's right. So how do you ski the tw- K-12? Go that way, really fast. If something gets in your way, turn. That's how you ski the K-12. Yeah. So Lane's trying to cope with uh, his girlfriend breaking up with him. And right across the street... There's a little foreign exchange student. A, a French foreign exchange student who doesn't want to be understood by the family she's staying with. Because they are horrible. <laughs> so you've got... They're both overweight. Just mom and the, and the son. And the son, uh, Ricky, is played by... Um, Dan Schneider. Dan right? Schneider, yes, who was in uh, Head of the Class. Yes. And, and then later became a uh, uh, big time producer at Nickelodeon. Big time producer, yes. And so he's really massive in this. Uh, he's actually a little bit smaller in Head of the Class. And then at one point in Head of the Class, he becomes skinny and he loses a ton of weight. He doesn't even look like the same kid. But he's, very, he's your typical quiet, nerdy, pick your nose kind of kid. And his mom's trying to set up the French girl with him. And. It's constant, mm-hmm. and so she can't handle it. So Lane comes home from one of the his failures, uh, yeah. trying to. I think he's probably coming home from the first night of work, and because uh, dad gets him a job, and it's horrible, because his life is just so horrible to begin with. So he hence see, the title, yes. Hence yes. So he wants to commit suicide. Yeah, yeah all of these comic attempts to commit suicide that fail. Yes, like he tries to hang himself in the uh, the garage, turns on the car. And then he's 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 got he's he's got the rope around his neck, and he realized this is stupid. So his mom, as he's trying to get himself down, his mom opens up the door, knocks him off of what he's on because she's vacuuming. <laughs> she's trying to get better position of what she's doing, uh, but he he fails at all of them. And she's he tries to jump off an overpass and lands in a garbage truck. Yes, with one of the most famous lines of the movie that. You could never put into a movie today, because you got a black guy and a white guy standing there, or it might have been a Mexican guy. Uh, well, it, it, they're like uh, working on the electrical over headlines. It's Stephen Williams who would go on to be in the X Files. Yes, and he says, "Let's look at that. Somebody throwing away a perfectly good white boy like that." Yeah, it's a shame. Somebody, yeah, and so you I mean you could never put that in, in a movie like that today. But it, it's it's a it's a play on its own. Bad background. Yeah, it, it, it plays well, I thought, but you know we're a different age than than what rules things today. It was pretty famous at the time, though. It was though, and so the girl, the French girl, she starts to like him, and so but she's helping him to win back the, uh, his girlfriend, and you know she gives him confidence, and yes. you know she falls for him, and he doesn't realize that he's fallen for her until the end. Of course, uh, and. You know, she helps him fix up his '68 Camaro. Yeah, which super badass, super badass car. That is a '68, and it's just it's just one thing after another. that is just so damn funny. And of course, you've got Badger, the little brother, yeah, who builds a space shuttle out of uh, uh, of uh, household appliances and a laser gun, and p- how to pick up trashy women. How to pick up trashy women has a you know a room full of women and yeah, and one of the best highlights of this movie. Is the school dance though? 
Now, anybody who was ever not the most popular kid in high school knows that school dances were torture. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so he goes to this. Uh, Ricky brings the little French girl. Um, uh, shoot, what's her name? Uh, Monique? Monique. Monique. Thank you, Monique. Yes, and uh, Ricky becomes very popular at this because he he dances. He dances like nobody's watching. Let me tell you, I mean, he 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 dances. And you've got um, uh, uh, music that actually now is fairly famous. And uh, the the girl who who does the music, she's the girlfriend from Pee Wee Herman. Elizabeth Daly. Elizabeth Daly. She would go on to be mostly a voice actor yes. in Rugrats, I think, Exactly. Right? She Tommy. does Tommy. And but so, she had a musical career in the 80s and, and yeah. all that, too, and, and appeared in films like, uh, oh, what's the name of it? Um, oh, oh no, the one that's based on Romeo and Juliet with Nicolas Cage. Oh, oh, shoot. Skip a bit, brother. Valley Girl. Valley, Valley Girl, Girl, yes. Oh, yeah, of course. <clears throat> Yes. yes. She appears in Valley Girl and then goes on to a lot of voice acting work. Yeah, so I mean, you know, it, it just all kinds of just fun stuff in this. Yeah. And of course you've got Charles DeMar, who is also Booger. Yeah. Curtis uh, Armstrong. Right, and he's also in Moonlighting. Yep. And, you know, he's, he's a great character actor from this, this period. Uh, there's a great line where he says, Look, Lane, I'm no dummy. I've been going to this high school for six years. <laughs> Like He's a, always trying to score drugs, but the town they live in is so small, all he can get is, like... Snow. Yeah. It's the wrong kind of snow. But <laughs> he can he can snort the gas out of the spray cheese cans at the grocery store, and that's about all he can get a hold of. That's right. I can't even get real drugs in this town, Lane. So, I mean, it's, it's very dated in many ways, but it is just so it, damn it's, funny. It's a wonderful farce, and you're absolutely right. You, you go, if it is on... It's not on a lot, but if it is on, it's definitely a stop and watch. Because it'll still make you laugh. Yeah. I mean, this is 35 years. I show years. this to my kids, and they, you know, and they do. They love it. It, 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 it will make you laugh. Again, it, it's, it is a farce. It is very weird. Cartoon elements, claymation, uh, the singing hamburger, doing Van Halen. It, it's nutty. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, I mean, there's not a scene I, I couldn't pick. To, to talk about that is just it's just so jam packed the the writing and the acting is just phenomenal yeah. it really pull dead. it off yeah better off dead all right so who wants to go next I'll go excellent I'll go Martin's going next so this is a film I've actually just recently discovered this is not one going back to the eighties that we've always watched um, but uh, after discovering it I got really engaged into it and I do I, I've watched it many times on Pluto. It's an old John Wayne war film called In Harm's Way. Yes. I have discussed it once before when we mm-hmm. talked John Wayne. Yeah, that's right. But it was sort of one of these, the last black and white epic. Right. Uh, I know I've seen it, but I'm blanking on what it's about. But I'm sure you'll tell me. Yeah, it's it, it's it's set in the uh, the Pacific in World War II in the Navy. Um, he plays a captain of a destroyer. Uh, at the time of the Pearl Harbor attack. Uh, again, big cast. Otto Preminger directs. Oh, wow. And Preminger likes to take these as vehicles to uh, investigate institutions and how they are run, the people who make them up. Okay. Because what is an institution, whether it's uh, an established church or a military or, or whatever, it is the sum of the people who are a part of it. Mm-hmm. 
And so he likes to examine those people and their motivations. Well, he plays Rockwell Tory. Well, that's a good John Wayne kind of name. Yeah. Isn't it? So and as far as uh, Patricia Neal as a as a nurse, he meets. Uh, oh yes, yes. Um, and uh, Kirk Douglas. Kirk Douglas. Yeah. Uh, plays his sort of this fellow that's on the edge of having a real super disaster uh, of a personal life. Uh, wife cheating on him and all that. She is actually one of the civilians killed during Pearl Harbor. So he's kind of like, well, I guess that solves all my problems. <laughs> Probably not. There's a little bit of survivor's guilt there, too. I yes. mean, Kirk Douglas, anything he does is always oh, worth he, watching. Oh, but, oh, yes. <clears throat> this was one of his very best, slightly earlier roles. Yes. Because he ends up uh, raping one of the nurses. Which was unheard of when this movie came out. Because this is 1950... It's 64. 64, it's right. 64, This I is post-Spartacus, but it's still black and white. Yeah, it, again, it's a choice by parameter. He didn't have to make it in black and white. He made it as a sort of a statement. Uh, again, kind of the last of the epic war films to be made in black and white in the early 60s. Uh, studio let him do it. Of course, they would never after that would never let somebody make a black and white film. Well, Dr. Strangelove and Mel Brooks... Uh, Young Frankenstein. Young Frankenstein. Being a few of the few yeah, exceptions. Yeah, he's established enough. He kind of got away with it, too. Yeah. But it's, uh, yeah, you know, he, uh, uh, the nurse is engaged to uh, John Wayne's character's son, uh, who he's, what do you call it, uh, uh, estranged, yeah. estranged from. Right. Because right. he, he kind of chose career over family. Because uh, his family was was sort of this wealthy, we don't engage in war. That's bad for business right. kind of families. That's and, not that's not an uncommon theme in John Wayne movies. You you see that fairly often. Yeah. Rio Grande and other movies that that, that yeah. would be a it, it's something that Wayne himself liked. Yeah. Obviously, they've never read the rules of acquisition because war is good for business and war is also bad for business. That's right. Yeah. So that uh, Douglas's character redeems himself. He goes out. Takes a plane uh, on a reconnaissance mission, sort of unauthorized solo. Is shot down and killed, so they don't have to have him arrested and court-martialed and all this other. The young nurse commits suicide. Um, John Wayne's son, that character, would eventually die in, a, in battle uh, aboard a PT boat. Uh, he's kind of redeemed because he's he was using family connections to be involved with a political guy, you know, someone who had been a congressman and was looking at higher office and wanted to have a war record to do that. And, you know, so all this stuff that intertwines, you know, real soldiers, real people who are really wanting to prosecute the war versus people who are kind of glomming on and hanging on. It's a very right. different war movie. This is not a glorification at all. Yeah. And it's yeah. very dark, extremely dark. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, John Wayne's character loses a leg. Yeah. Uh, but he does end up still with the relationship with the nurse, which is very redemptive. Well, yeah, Patricia Neal was a, a, a tremendous oh, actress. Yeah. Yeah, she really was. Um, Wayne's uh, performance is generally criticized. It seems kind of low-key. Um, I thought it worked. Um, but the reason it's low-key is, at 64, yeah. he's very, very ill. Uh, this is, I think, right before he has to have like, an entire lung removed uh, with cancer. So he's very, very ill during the filming of, the, uh, of this. Um, but I just I discovered it recently, again, on the streaming services. And it's like, man, this is, uh, this is a compelling film. Yeah. It, it kind of hops a little bit. Uh, it's very lean. It's, 
even for a long epic film, it, it right. How long is it? Uh, it? I think it's a good three hours. Wow, that's long. It but is. It's, it's, it's Pearl Harbor to this campaign in the Pacific, and so it, it covers a lot of ground. Okay, and it's notable in many respects because it's just prior to Vietnam, so all of that which would color everything that came after, is not present here. Yeah. So it's kind of like a retro back to World War II with a recognition of that was not as glorious as we've always put it to be. It almost had a nihilism to it that would be very common in the 70s by the time Vietnam has happened. But it's very unusual at this time. And Preminger was, it was a, it was a very different take. Very yeah, different. again, it's very much a character And that's what's study. refreshing about it. Yeah, this, this understanding that not every naval officer is exactly alike. Right. There's, there's differing motivations. There's, again, there's, this there's political sh- guy angling just to make himself look good. Right. He's not really seeing any action versus Wayne's character who is like, well, if we're going to do this, we need to hustle it up and get it on. Um, you know, he loses the destroyer and he's... He chooses not to be court-martialed, and, uh, and um, you know, the, these very early on... Wait, how does he choose not to be court-martialed? Well, he was given the option, sort of, you can contest being relieved of your command. Ah, ah, okay. But he's, he's relieved of command... Would be the court-martial. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, a court-martial is not necessarily a, uh, you're drummed out of the service... Uh, it's more than one. Yeah, it's what we typically call that. But yeah, it's not there's multiple so, outcomes. Right. Yeah. You bring you're brought to trial. But basically, yeah. he's going to accept being relieved of sea duty, command duty, and put on a desk. Um, very again, this is happening to officers in the wake of Pearl Harbor. Right. And the which admiral, is a lot of which was very unfair. Yeah, the, the admiral who's breaking it to him now. They don't use his name, but it's it's husband Kimmel. Mm-hmm. who was the admiral in charge there at Pearl Harbor at the time of, of the uh, raid, the uh, the attack on Pearl Harbor, who was also, of course, relieved right. uh, of command. He says, you know, I think in a few months the Navy's going to be looking mm-hmm. for officers who exhibit some, you know, gumption. But for mm-hmm. right now, the order of the day is basically we're all getting our, our asses handed to us. Right. Uh, because... He, he took his orders to mean that his group was expendable. Right. And so he was not zigzagging. Uh, he was not taking a zigzag course at the time he was struck by a torpedo. He said, well, I took my orders to mean I was to stay out there and engage the enemy basically at all hazards. And that's kind of the name, the name of the film comes from that all idea hazards, yeah. of give me a fast ship for I intend to go in harm's way. So he's very much in the spirit of I'm going out there in harm's way. Um, yeah, it's hard to find a John Wayne movie that's not worthy of multiple rewatches. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. That's, that sums it up very so well. Yes, I think I have seen this, but it's been a long time. It's been a while. See if you can find it. I'll have to uh, do that. Yeah. It's probably not on demand on Pluto right now, mm-hmm. but it may come back. Sure. Uh, or it may be on other services where you can find it. Um, Burgess Meredith gives a great performance. Oh, yeah. He's a screenwriter who has been married to multiple actresses and divorced from multiple actresses. But he's in the Naval Reserve. He gets called up. He's an intelligence officer who ends up working for Nimitz. Um, Henry Fonda plays Nimitz. Yeah. Very nice. One of of two times that he plays Nimitz. Um, And again, just tons of people that that are awesome. 
He's another guy that's hard to find a bad movie. That's right. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah, Fonda is one of the greats. So I think I'm turning this over now to Francis. Yes, let's go to Francis, and then after Francis, we'll do our, uh, our bourbon break. break. Yeah, uh, we the guys actually helped me muddle through what I was going to pick for this one here, because I had so many options that I wanted to do. I try to tend towards the historical, uh, in many cases. Uh, sometimes the literary, which is kind of well, it, it's, we, like I said before, it's your wheelhouse. Well, that's, I appreciate that very much. So, uh, and I decided to pick one that. Uh, these are actually slightly later than the, the movies you guys are picking. This is uh, my one. This first one is from the 1990s, 1992, actually. Uh, and it's, well, it's you know we've hit real quick. Now, I don't know what your next will be, but you know we we will have hit the 60s, the 80s, the 90s, and the the aughts mm-hmm. with these. Do you have anything? Yours is not from the 70s, is it? Your other one? No. Okay. Well, too the bad. last time we did this, it was all 70s guys. So, yeah, I know. So yeah, we, we've kind of done that one. Yeah, I was just saying so. we are hitting a breath. <laughs> Of of periods here, mm-hmm. yeah. It's it's Michael Mann's magnificent version of the Last of the Mohicans. Yes, and uh, you with, know that really is magnificent. It in really so it, many ways. Yeah. It is a beautiful piece of cinematography. The music, and the music, the music oh, itself the music is awesome. Oh my gosh! And you know uh, that's just uh, the soundtrack itself is still one of the very best that's ever been committed to any motion picture. Uh, Daniel Day Lewis uh, gives an as always. An amazing performance. You a have to understand, stunning, stunning, stunning performance. performance of a book that, in many respects, was very popular in its day. But Fenimore Cooper, if you, James Fenimore Cooper, if you ever had a chance to read him, he's hard to plow through. He really well, it's is. The nature of the prose. It's the, the nature time. of the prose at the time. And it, while it was the the whole series of the Leatherstocking Tales, which is six books of the, which this is one and the most famous of them. Um, they're hard to get through sometimes. They are seen as classics of American literature. They are Some of the first classics because they were they were early. They were uh, portraying a frontier life uh, that at the time was unknown in, in Europe and around the world. So it really was very American. Uh, and of course, this takes place during the French and Indian War. A lot of there's a lot of veracity as well to these. That's right. Yes. Uh, and, and man's direction <clears throat> has a lot to do with. The nature scenes that he uses, the darkness and the light that he uses, most of which was actually filmed in the Great Smoky Mountains, believe it or not, near Chimney Rock and other places like that, because you know it's an on-location movie, you know, all of it, absolutely. Right. Yeah, uh, this is in the true great outdoors. This uh, this is not some studio. And, set. It, and it, the 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 wilderness aspect of being on the American frontier. In 1757, which is that's how the movie opens, is with 1757. That's that's how it begins, and it talks about you know this is during the the, the battle, and it's an amazingly personal story too. Uh, it's about you know I don't you know go over all of it, but Daniel Day Lewis plays the character Hawkeye Nathaniel Bumpo, uh, who is uh, the white man raised by Indians, lives amongst the Indians with Ching Jok Chuk, played by Russell Means. Uh, who was, you know, like the great Indian actor at the right. time. It still is, in many respects. Uh, they, are, they encounter the French uh, during this battle of war, uh, along with... Uh, right, because they are allies of the Brits. They are, uh, uh, although loosely so. Yes, lo- I mean, they push, they the push French that are, a lot. The, are the enemy. The French, French are the enemy, uh, although it turns out the way that the screenplay is written, the British are kind of the enemy, too. Yeah, uh, and that's well, and that's that's Cooper. Kind of the enemy among us. Well, that's right because that's that's Cooper because he's writing in the eighteen hundreds. He's writing, you know, 
these this is the proto-revolutionary period because there's a lot of those themes in here like this is English absolutism and what do you mean you're going not going to allow the militia to go protect their homes there's lots of undercurring themes of American independence that is you know still two decades away uh, that uh, is brought together yeah, so it's, seamlessly it's a it's a depiction of the American character of being right. we're we're this rugged individuals already right because you're not really helping us all that much anyway, Britain. Right. You know, one of the things that I, I think at least strikes me about the story, and not having read the book, I, I, can't, I can't say how much of this is uh, what's dropped into the movie versus what's pulled out of the book. Right. Uh, you know, to me, one of the biggest senses I get out of this, which I find very compelling, is that the French and Indian War is, it is essentially, this, this is not an American war. This is a European war that Americans happen to be caught in the middle of. And I think very much Hawkeye and the daughters, which uh -huh. are key to the story, obviously, this love story. Because right. it's also a love story. It also, yeah, that's right. Madeline, very much a love story. Madeline Stowe is amazing in this. I, I yes. know you're being still your beating heart. Because well, I know. She, she's, she's a phenomenal she's, actress. She's a phenomenal yes. actress. I mean, right. she's, she, she's, she's a stunning woman in so many levels. Right. And, and the casting of this is is amazing because in order to get that romance right, and it's it's one of those centers of one of those red hot centers of this movie, there had to be that chemistry, and they and they nail it. They nail it they absolutely. The chemistry is fantastic, uh, and uh, that's part of what. And it also becomes a chase movie. Yeah. Because and it's also a revenge movie. See, it's got a lot of these multiple themes that you know sometimes. Authors will pick one or two, but this has all of those things put into it. Uh, the character, the main villain, is the character of Magua, uh, who is played unbelievably well by Wes Studi, the American, Native American actor. Uh, you, you are you hate him? A Michael Mann favorite? Uh, yeah, absolutely, because he would work with you. Yeah, him, uh, he, he is he is an awesome villain. Oh my God! It's just it's and it, it's not creepy villain; it's evil villain. Yes. And yet he's also humanized because they, there's a moment where he's talking to the Marquis de Montcalm, the French general, about why do you hate the English so? And it gives him a little bit of an insight. So he, there's a reason for his motivations on this. Yeah. Ironically, this is kind of at the height of the French and Indian War. And there's at this point, it's a really great moment to have set the story because you don't know which way it's going to go. And the it's actually based on real events. Uh, the storming of Fort William Henry, where this a lot of this takes place, really did happen. Right. Uh, the Marquis de Montcalm does indeed evict uh, the British settlers who brought smallpox out with them, ironically. So most of the Native Americans died as part of this. And there is the massacre at the, uh, after they leave, which is one of the you know, the climaxes of the movie. Uh, where so much everything that they've kind of thought was their salvation all of a sudden is destroyed, and some of the only survivors are Hawkeye and uh, and Monroe's daughter and two daughters and uh, well, no, uh, well, yes, yeah, but ultimately, ultimately they don't all survive. That's right. right. I don't want to give away too much of it. Uh, it's a thirty-year-old movie. I think it's okay. Well, that's that's true too. Yeah, I mean, two, okay, now I just made myself feel old. It's a thirty-year-old movie. Well, yeah, it is. Yeah, <laughs> next year it'll be thirty years. It's a, uh, but it is so. It is the beauty, the grandeur, the performance, the direction, the story, the themes. It's a compelling movie. It's on a compelling all movie. On all it is. It is. If you get a chance, the DVD version that they show these days is the expanded version. It's not many minutes. But it does fill out a few things because they kept it under two hours. This was like two hours and ten minutes or something like that. It 
a lot of times those when you cut those movies for running time, you often lose some of the director's vision. This restores that back. And there's a few scenes that once you see, they realize, oh, that was a quick jump, wasn't it? This made things a little bit more realistic. Uh, there's a whole scene when the when they send forth a courier uh, to send for help. Uh, well, there's a distraction that goes on on the front side of the fort that enables that to happen, which of course makes so much more sense. Of course, you had to do something like that. So right. that's just one of those moments that, yeah, God, it is so great, and it's one of those movies. Uh, find the soundtrack. It's on all of your, all, every one of the uh, of the streaming, streaming services, streaming services yeah. you want to find. Uh, it, it's it's Randy Adelman did it, and it's probably one of the greatest soundtracks ever. He also committed. did, the, he also did Gettys, he, Gettysburg. Gettysburg. That's yes. correct. That's right. Yes. This was slightly before that, uh, and it was astounding. Astounding. It's this movie could, has so many great scenes that stand out. Uh, you know, at yeah. the end where uh, they they burn the uh, the British officer. Yeah, Major uh, Hayward. Yeah, Major Hayward, because uh, he sacrifices himself uh, to to free. And he's the been he's been an ass the whole movie. Right. He, and he that's, that's a beautiful. Stephen Waddington plays him so well. Yes. Uh, and then of course you know uh, Hawkeye ends up killing him. To sit, you know, as a mercy. Yeah, that's um, right. This is because he's Hawkeye. He can shoot anything. <laughs> as as, as yeah. he calls himself, I am the Long Carbine. That's yes. what that's what he was called. That was because he so, was such a marksman. You know, and then that whole chase to, to get back Monroe's, Monroe's youngest daughter, who's I forget their names, but uh, Alice. 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 Yeah. And Alice uh, and Cora. Uh, you know that whole uh, scene where they're chasing uh, Magua and his men, and basically they end up slaughtering all of Magua's men, but at a great cost. Right. Because and in the end. Uh, Uncas, uh, his uh, Nathaniel's adoptive brother, yes. dies, and so does Alice. She commits suicide, be- uh, right? Because but, in which she waited five minutes. That's right, five it minutes. That's right. It would have been. But long. that scene where Magua is trying to talk her off the. Oh, the, I love that. that. That's right. That is phenomenal because it, it actually shows he's not entirely a monster. Correct. That's right. Which is interesting. I just found that very fascinating. And West Studi just sells that so right. well. I mean, he was. Visibly disturbed that she would do that. That she would consider doing that, but then once she did it, it's like, okay, fine, and then go, and then turns around and leaves. Because you know, at that point, there's nothing you can do. That's right. It's done. You know, he can't climb down 400 feet to get the mangled body. There's no point. Right. Yeah. Um, And and his own comeuppance comes just moments after. And his own, yes. Uh, But yeah, so he Hawkeye ends up truly being the last of the Mohicans because. Uh, his adoptive brother and and adoptive father, pretty much, they are the last two. That's, well, yeah, that's right. And so, and, and Chingachuk is his adopted father, and Hawkeye and Akora, they're the only survivors at the end. It's, uh, normally, I would never go into such spoilers, but you've given me permission to do well, that. Yeah, sir. that means thirty years. But I mean, yeah. that ending to me is oh, one of yeah, the best movie it's endings, really, even yeah. though it is so dark. Yeah, it. and it's again, Michael Mann later going to he. Uh, plus uh, one of my favorite old movies, Manhunter, mm-hmm. based on a Thomas Harris, you know, what will become famous later on with uh, Hannibal Lecter and all that. Uh, Man's a tremendous director. Yeah, and, and, and this is a this is a work wow. of art. This is yeah. a work of I mean, art. Just wow, yes. sensibility. Yes, how to balance characters, how to move the narrative. Well, it wasn't just the source material. This was Michael Mann's vision. Yeah, and well, it's, it's very that, it's, the visuals. It's it, the it's everything. This movie has something for everybody. This is a man's movie, but this is also a movie for women because of the love story. I mean, 
the most famous line that practically everybody will recognize, men and women, is "I will find you." That's right. I forgot. I'm glad, glad we didn't forget and leave that on the table. Oh my gosh, that's that's classic. Yeah. I mean, yeah. even the guys like that. So, I mean, the, yeah, the women, they're like, oh, yeah, because but, they have you know, to they have to separate at some point in order for for them to you know to work through, and they jump off the waterfall, and I will come back to you, and he does. Yes, yeah. that's right. Fantastic. But that line, the way he delivers that, and that's, you know, that's Daniel Day such, Lewis, which. To, to give a Martin word, such pathos. Yeah. <laughs> you know? That's right. That's yeah, right. it's tremendous. Yeah. Again, the, the visuals, the pacing, the narrative, man deserves like every award possible. Yeah. It, what awards did this win? Over, uh, over, I'd, over, I'd over, have yeah. to look that up. It did not win Best Picture. It should, it should have. have. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was nominated. If I'm not, if yeah, I, I think if I was, remember yeah. correctly, it was nominated. Uh, and I want to say that there were awards that it won from it. I can't tell you exactly. what I'm that sure was. you know it was but up there for soundtrack it, as well as. It, it uh, certainly is, you know, a huge part of Daniel Day Lewis's reputation. Oh yes, uh, along with well, uh, Gangs of New York. Yeah, well, which that was later. Uh, he had already won his first Oscar at this point because that was my from left foot. my left foot, which was like two or three years before this. Yeah. Uh, and so he was a bankable star at this point. But this is not a tentpole type movie. This is an artistic movie right. that he turned into an action flick, and yet it was not that either. It was much, much more than yeah. I mean, it, like I said, it really was something for everybody in this. Yeah. Uh, that's right. Phenomenal cast. That's right. And if you've never it. seen the movie, although I cannot imagine, but I suppose for there's a first time for everything for that's everybody. right. Because then you will want to see it over and over. That's right. That's why it's here. Exactly. So bourbon break. Bourbon break yes. time, gentlemen. Bourbon quickly, break quickly. All right. So. We are, yeah, because we're running a little bit long here, um, which is not unusual for this. this yeah, these, uh, these always do. Uh, so I'm, uh, I've gone back and tapped some of Barton's uh, Woodford Reserve, and, you know, always one of my favorites, uh, as we talked about the last episode. It is the standard by which we measure all bourbons. Mm -hmm. That's and, right. Uh, you know, got a few of the uh, the soapstones in here to chill it. Things, yeah. Yes. Well, I put one small chunk of ice in there to, to have that water one to... One thin wafer? Yes, one, one, just one. Just one. Just one. One, one thin wafer. Uh, and the cleaning lady. Mm -hmm. no. And, you know, I, I, to me that chill, just a splash of the, the water melting in, just does a great effect. Uh, the water the tends to bring, uh, I think, the caramel flavor... From the, from the aging out a, a tiny bit. Yeah, I, I would say that that would be good, yeah. So I poured uh, myself and Francis here a snort of Old Tub. Oh, I love it. Uh, love it. You know, a Beam uh, brand that was reintroduced recently. Um, yes, a uh, former pastor told me about that yeah. and uh, brought that to the uh, attention of the fellas. And I, and I think I showed you all that I had some of the moonshine that was distilled by my grandfather back in the 40s was in a original Old Tub bottle. Right, right. <laughs> I since replaced it with one of the new bottles because the other one was evaporating. It didn't have a stopper properly in it. Ah. So uh, it still looks the same, essentially, but yeah. it's it's preserved a little bit better now. But oh, that's good. After that's good. after we consumed it, because it was one that wow, this is and that's what I'm drinking as well. It's it's a twenty dollar thing. It's I mean, a great it's a great bourbon. It's really nice. I like but, uh, it. But which you know usually that's not a good bourbon. Yeah. I mean it's a good bourbon, but it's not top shelf. Yeah. Uh, and it's this is not a uh, um, you know that subtle complex Woodford. It it, it is a little more potent, right? Uh, well, not quite in it, your face, but yeah. it's it, it's. I, I fail to see a problem, gentlemen, with potency. Shall we say? All right, I think that is a note where we need to stop bourbon break. Perhaps. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so we start talking about uh, Francis's potency. Then uh, skip yes. a bit, brother. Skip a bit, brother. Plenty so, to spare, gentlemen. <coughs> so. Uh, well, it's a shame we can't borrow it. Uh, well, some of us don't need to borrow it. <laughs> uh, 
So, uh, anyways, we are uh, we're gonna try and get one more in each because this right. is uh, it, and I will go next. Because again, we're doing this all in turns. So and we'll try to take a little, um, little. The one that I'm gonna do. So I apologize in advance for what I am about to do to you. So this is from my movie. Don't 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 you forget about me. You're yes. a tremendous performer, but you don't yeah, have a sucks. great singing voice. No, I do not. Don't yes, give up your as day my job. parishioners well know. Don't you, give up your day job. Yes, you, you uh, are an actor, not a not Yes, a I am an actor, not a singer. Uh, but that is, of course, uh, Don't You Forget About Me from uh, The Breakfast Club. Absolutely. It is the theme song. And uh, it, it's a great song for the movie, because that's really the whole point. Is Don't You Forget About Me when this whole Saturday is over. And, uh, you know, it's to me, this is the quintessential 80s coming of age movie. It's not St. Elmo's Fire. That's not it. That's not it. All right. Uh, A lot of people think it is. No comparison. Yeah. To me, this is much better because, and again, maybe it's because I was of the right age for this. You know, St. Elmo's Fire. Was, was a little bit more. They're a little bit older, right? And it was a few years later too. It was kind of like. Well, actually, Samuel's, Samuel's Fire, I think, is before this movie. Mm. Uh, I want to say it's before. I didn't think so, but I'm no, no, I think it's released really after sure? because um, isn't Ellie Sheedy you, in you, it? Yes, well, yeah. So is more keep talking. Talking. So is Judd I'll Nelson, check. but um, yeah, uh, keep talking. I'll yeah. check this out. Yeah, it's, but anyways, I, I was always whether it is or not. I, I, I still think this is this is better because uh, you know, for us, high school was the first half of the '80s. College was the second half. And uh, to me, this really speaks well uh, of my college experience. There's so many parts of it that I recognize, people I recognize uh, mm-hmm. in these characters. Yeah. And, you know, it, there's lots of, I mean, the bits in here are just so good. There's great humor. There's great emotional drama and interplay between the various stereotypes. Because that's what they start out as. They start out completely stereotypes, completely one-dimensional you know, the stoner, the nerd, the jock, the princess. Uh, the, the crazy girl. Same year, boys. Same year, okay. 1985. Breakfast Club was February. St. Elmo's Fire was June. Okay. So, so they, they were made contemporaneously. Were contemporaneously, yeah. Uh, so, uh, you're right. They're, every one of those, everybody knows those, you know, uh, those stereotypes from their high school. Uh, if that's mm-hmm. the age you grew up in. And yet, we find out that they're really kind of the same. Yeah. They all have something in common. They're all different, you know, because we're all individuals. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> uh, but they're uh, they have so much in common that they're all outcasts, even though they're part of these larger groups. And they all have something that is deeply wounded in them. That's yeah. that's you, true. You come that's to critical. understand that they're all broken in a certain way. Yes, as we all are. Yes. And, and they go to great lengths to hide it. Yeah. Even Ali Sheedy's character, who is the quote-unquote crazy girl, uh, her brokenness, even though it seems like it's visible, it's not what you think it is. Yeah. Now, she's not, you know, loony. She's she's just sad. You know, she's emotionally sad because her parents ignore her. I mean, think about that. Yeah. You know, for a child, what's uh, the most important thing growing up is the attention of your parents. Right. And, you know, if you're ignored... By the people who should pay the most attention to you over anybody and anything else, mm-hmm. my God, of course that's going to break you. Yeah. And so, you know, she finds, they all do, this, this new family type experience, this connection. And, 
you know, it, at first you you think, well, they're not going to uh, remember each other. They are going, but uh, as Anthony Michael Hall's character, the nerd, you know, he shames everybody into, well, no, we're not going to. Uh, you know, he breaks down in tears because when Claire, the uh, Molly Ringwald character, says, you know, because she he asks, you know, are we still going to be friends on Monday? And she is still in the princess mode. No, I don't think so. Which, you know, she's right. Until you force the issue, you're not. Because, right. uh, you know, he breaks down and they're giving her crap. And she says to, to, to John, which is uh, uh, Judd, 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 Nelson, Judd yeah. Nelson's character, oh, come on. Would you really hang out with, um, what's his, uh, Anthony Michael Hall's... Uh, uh, I don't remember the character. I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember Bender the character. is yeah. John Bender. Bender. Andrew is the, the, the jock. It's Emilio uh, Estevez. And Brian. It's Brian. Brian. You know, are you really going to take Brian out in the back with your with your uh, stoner friends and smoke a doobie with him? You know, or, or me, or you know, you uh, say hi to me, but then you'd only uh, uh, you justify by saying you did it with me to your friends. So she kind of shames them into realizing, oh, yeah, you're all we're all going to fall into what we're comfortable with until they're confronted with it. But then when you see them leave, they leave as friends. So you get the impression that come Monday. They're new friend. They're still friends. Yes. Now and, we don't know that, that really and, plays out, but which is the brilliance and the ambiguity. That's right. Yeah. One of the movies. The real yeah, reason the that next, movie was so well regarded yeah. is you do not know. Yeah. The next step is: Are you going to have the courage to befriend me publicly later? Right. Outside of your peer group, because the, the peer group that Brian has would react the same way to Bender. Oh my God! You can't be friends with him. He, he tortures us. Right. So, you know, that, that film, that very powerful when they write that essay. Yes. Who do you expect us to be? You see us as one thing, but we're something else. Yeah. It's a brilliant piece of writing uh, that goes into the essay at the end, you know, uh, about being something else. That, that the, the adults, as well as each other, yes. lock you into you these, see, these you see us stereotypes. You see us, yeah. And the movie really is saying... You're more than that. You're more than the stereotype. You know, we all bring our brokenness yeah, to the yeah. thing. I love Ali Sheedy's character. If for no other reason than uh, she says at the end, well, that and the uh, she's not a nymphomaniac. She's a compulsive liar. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, and I have but, to. I, you know, she says, uh, is it, well, talking about the are we still gonna be friends? Like, well, I don't have any friends. But if I did, I don't think they'd be the kind that would care. You know, yeah, she's the most real. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and open about things because she doesn't have anything, anything to lose. Anything to lose. In a way, that's that kind of telling too. Yeah. You know. You know, I, I have to confess, as great a film as The Breakfast Club is, I actually have a hard time watching it. It it's it is very it's emotionally painful. painful right? It is because, because I, I much prefer as just to sit down and watch Sixteen Candles. Yes, a John Hughes film. That's a it which in, a, in a its own bit. way is painful. But it goes a little bit differently and comes out a little, not quite as scarring or, or revealing of the scars. Yeah, but you know, I, I think Breakfast Club is a more healing movie, ultimately. Yeah, yeah. And th- I think that's one of the things I like about it. You know, one of the things I like to think about The Breakfast Club, uh, besides the wonderful soundtrack, because there's so many good songs in that uh, soundtrack, mm-hmm. um, I think not only did, are they friends on Monday, but I think every one of them comes back for Bender's Eight Saturdays. I think they all come back for uh, 
the uh, they they have no way to explain it to the parents that have to bring them. Right, but I think they but all they, come they back because yeah. he's there for eight. Even though, you know, Brian says, "Well, no, sir, I think it's seven because you know it was this." And it's like, shut up. Okay, fine. You know, so Bender he gets all these these detentions, and yeah, I think they all come back to do detention with him. That's the bond that they have created. So even if they're not super great friends on Monday through Friday, they're tight on Saturdays. And they have they have to summon the bravery to explain to their peer groups. Right. This is you know, Bender's my friend. And not Brian's only is Bender my friend, my friend, but Andrew's my friend. You know, Claire is now seeing him. Yeah. You know, she gives him her one of her diamond stud earrings, which you see him put in his ear as he and, walks as off. He walks away. Um, and Andrew now is dating uh, Ali Sheedy's character. Um, um, you know, I don't remember her name. Oh, the character's shoot. name. Yeah, uh, but anyways. But it, it's, it, it's in a way, they're saving Bender's life. I mean, it's a real lifeline yes. to Bender. Well, Brian's too. He was going to commit suicide yeah. with a flare gun. <laughs> but, you know, he couldn't do it. Uh, and Ali Sheedy's character, she's on the way to yeah. suicide. And Andrew the, and the Claire, pressure, yeah, the, the, is they're on Andrew. to drugs and alcohol. Yeah, with eventual either you know suicide or you know getting beaten to death by a, a, a crazy husband or whatever. I mean, they're they're all in a downward spiral. That's easy to see the the roots of as they open up about why they're there. Yeah, yeah, and it's just to me, it's not just a coming of age. This is it's a, such a commentary on the dark hell that high school really is. Yeah. And that I mean, it, it can be overcome. Take a film like Grease and you flip it over, you know. It, oh, it's the dark it, underbelly. Yeah. It, it, oh, all this wonderful, we're singing, we're working on cars, and we're... Nope. It, it's really this. It's really this. <laughs> yeah, more people have the Breakfast Club experience than have the Grease experience. Yeah. Well, Don Henley once famously said that we all spend the rest of our lives attempting to get over high school. And I think that's so brilliant. Oh, so yeah. So brilliant. I tell you what, I mean, that's... I don't know about you guys, but I know my high school experience, uh, there were some highs, but there were a lot of lows. A lot of lows. I enjoyed college way more. Yeah. Now, I mean, I did not, it's... there were only a few people out of high school that I truly miss. Yeah, I mean, it's not just the freedom you experience in college. Right. right. It's there the is, fresh start. There's Yeah, it, it's fresh start. It's a separation from those that are not having the same experience. Yes. It's... There's something... You're just moving in a whole different direction. Right? Dare I say, you're growing up. Well, th- there's that. I mean, but there's there's something very uh, liberating as well as cathartic mm-hmm. about starting college. Uh, because you leave, you are able to, not everybody does, but you're able to leave all that baggage behind. Mm-hmm. You can reinvent yourself. Exactly what I was going to say. You are able to reinvent yourself. And they've done that in this Saturday... And the only question is, do they continue it? Can they? I like to think they do. Can they make it? Yeah, yeah. That's maybe I'll rewatch it with that eye that that you've got there, Robert. Because right, the the eye of wisdom. Yeah, it, it, it's you know, so it's years so painful. I I have a hard time rewatching it. Yeah, I, I get that. I really do. Because yeah. uh, you know, I can identify with the with a lot of the stuff, a lot of the angst in that movie. So, Martin. Mar- oh yeah. Okay. So I'm going to change palate cleanse moment. Yes. yes. Clean change of direction from all of these. New subject. Completely new subject. Because I'm going to do Pulp Fiction. 
Pulp Fiction is is a very polarizing film. Yes. Uh, because people either love it or they go, this is the most demented, trashy garbage ever. Mrs. Martin loves Pulp Fiction. And then fiction. again, both are But you know what? Not I agree with wrong. that statement, but I still love the movie. That's right. <laughs> that's right. There's, the, there's a beautiful blending of recognizing that this is not an either-or situation. It's a both-and. Yeah, and I mean, there's, there's a lot of there. crap there. But it is so well-crafted and put together that it truly, the sum of the parts truly is greater. Which is an amazing thing to say considering the movie is non-linear. Or the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Yeah. Uh, Uh, By design, which that's one of the things that freaks a lot of people out. Yeah, it's so difficult to follow. Non-linear storytelling of, of Pulp Fiction. But it's, again, in this great tradition of, you know, Los Angeles in particular, California generally, but Los Angeles in particular is this, this sale of perpetual sunshine and the beach and all this wonderfulness, Hollywood, uh, and there's there's a trend of filmmaking that says, nope, let's open this up. Holly, or Los Angeles is horrific. Yeah. Um, yeah it a- takes people in, chews them up, and doesn't even bother spitting them out. Yeah. I mean, it's just, um, it destroys people. To really understand, you know, this this push and pull of L.A., its history, uh, the migration of the workforce during the war. A lot of L.A.'s population had been Southerners. Yeah. And took some attitudes with them when they left the South and kept them in Los Angeles. And then they're on a collision course with, you know, this Hispanic history uh, of the place and you know black workforce and all that mm-hmm. and, and you see that explode you know Rodney King era yeah which is, is contemporaneous <clears throat> again with with Pulp Fiction um, it, it's just a stunning film that um, you just you know it just grabs hold of you Samuel just, L. Jackson is uh, you know mm. I I, I just phenomenal. All you have to say is Samuel L. I mean, this is it. probably it, it, it certainly makes his reputation. It does, and you know, uh, in um, Captain America and the Winter Soldier, where he dies in quotes. Yeah, uh, you have the scene at the end, and the quote that Samuel L. Jackson uses. Uh, what's his character's name? Uh, Jules. Jules. Winfield. Ezekiel twenty five seventeen. That is the on Nick Fury. The righteous man is beset on all sides by the inequities of the selfish and the tyranny of evil men. So it, Ezekiel twenty five is on his to- Nick Fury's tombstone, tombstone in that movie. Yeah. It's just wonderful, yeah. wonderful. It's, yeah. it's quite the call. <clears throat> again, it, it does a, it establishes Tarantino's reputation as a filmmaker, and 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 honestly, I think he rides off of that undeserved because he. That to me, that was his high point. Yeah. Although the 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 zombie vampire movie thing uh, in uh, uh, what was it? Zombie uh, Land? No, 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 no not zombie. But the vampire movie in because uh, sort of zombies, sort of vampires with uh, uh, I mean all the same character, all the same actors, but you've got well, uh, Dust Dorsey. till Dawn. Dust till Dawn. Oh, thank I was going to say, it took me a second there. Yeah, because he's I, actually in that movie. He didn't yeah, direct yeah, it. He, but he he stars in it. Robert Reyes yeah. directed it. But they're yeah, buddies. But, but yeah, I mean, he's. Yeah, I think he had a part in. Uh, yes. He played a part in developing that movie. Yeah, they, yeah. And you know, to me, that's 
that's the movie that, he, you know, he's part of that is better. Uh, especially, you know, you've got... Just Salma Hayek. Salma Hayek in it. And it's hard to, to... But, I mean, you know, all the other stuff that Tarantino does after Pulp Fiction, I don't think measures up to Pulp Fiction. I really, I really think, did like Jackie Brown because I'm a big Pam Greer fan. I'll, I'll grant you that. Uh, I'll right, grant you yeah. That. that was the one he followed up Pulp Fiction with. It was immediately after that. Yeah, and but it, it it was expected to be this wonderful thing, and it wasn't. A good, it was a good movie, but it, nothing ever really was the same. I think you're right. Reputation wise, he's done so many good things, and he's very good at what he does. But that's still like the gold standard, yeah. the Victor Von Doom of this that you just can't quite yeah. reach again. Part of it's the cast. Though. I mean, you look at the cast of Pulp Fiction. My God, I mean, it, it is just stunning. John Travolta shines in this movie. You've got Travolta, yeah. Jackson, you've got Harvey Keitel, you got Bruce Willis. Tim Roth. Tim Roth. Ving Uma Rames. Thurman. Ving Rhames. Yeah. I mean, all of these people that are, you know, at the time, they're not massive stars, but they're names. Yeah, I mean, Keitel right. especially is somebody who's well-established. Yeah. Oh, that's right, yeah. Going I mean, all the way back to... Um, the Duelists in the seventies and, and uh, uh, um, um, Taxi Driver. Taxi Driver, right. yeah. Uh, so I mean, he's worked with monster directors, and he's worked with and he brings an Scorsese old pro, and, he brings an old prose grace yeah. to that role. Well, and that's kind of the yeah, character that he plays that's too. Right. That was Winston so brilliantly. Ca- that's yeah. Tarantino yeah. knowing how to cast well to do that. I mean, Uma Thurman, who I'm not extremely a fan of. But she, okay, but she nails great. this. She just yeah, nails this. Her really best work is, this, is for Tarantino. Oh, and um, quirky and weird and uh, the uh, oh uh, Patricia Arquette and uh, Eric Stoltz and Eric Stoltz. You know, small bit parts, yeah, phenomenal. Phenomenal. All the bits yeah. of this just were so well done and so well put yeah. together. And it, it again, this <clears> this because I'm a big fan of stuff like Elmore Leonard. Love Elmore Leonard. Uh, James McElroy's L.A. Confidential. Again, a very similar. Let's look at. Los Angeles' seedy underbelly. I love these crime stories. I love this veracity of L.A. is not all that it seems. Right. Um, you know, and there's just... Yes, there's a ton of disturbing content in Pulp Fiction. Oh, yes. The pawn shop is like, whoa. Yeah. Who's Zed? Zed's the dead, dead, baby. Zed's, Zed's dead. dead. That's right. It's not a motorcycle, baby. It's a chopper. chopper. That's right. So, uh, and, you know, and yet there's some it, there's some victories, and then there's some defeats too. Yeah. Because yeah. you know, Ving Rhames' character, you know, is meant to be a villain, and yet he ends up being redeemed, sort of, kind of, sort of, kind. And Bruce Willis is almost the guy that's not going to succeed, and yet he ends up doing so. And yet, John Travolta's character gets shot in the toilet. Yeah, I mean, talk I mean, about. I mean, he gets the uh, the. Uh, 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 Oh, the 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 Lannister. Uh, what was the the father? Oh, Tywin Lannister. Tywin Lannister treatment. treatment. He gets yes, the Tywin he does. Lannister treatment. Yeah, yeah it's I mean, not a shot in the crapper. That's right. Yes, that that happens several times during the film. The Vincent Vega character goes to the bathroom, and when he comes out, the world is has crashed right. because. Uma Thurman's character overdoses while he's in the bathroom. Right. right. He, he really should learn. Stop going to the Stop damn bathroom. bathroom. When he comes Hold out it. of the bathroom, <laughs> Jules is in the Mexican standoff with Honey Bunny. Yeah. And and, and uh, 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 Yolanda. And it's like every time that, that it, you know, that's part which, of the criticism and, of the film that it comes out, oh, wow, this is a connection that... Which is deliberate on Tarantino's yeah. part. He's showing you that, you know, bad things happen when he goes to the crapper. Watch. And because yeah. ultimately yeah, that's where he leads in. When yeah. you're not looking, everything falls apart. Okay. Yeah, there's uh, a lot to that. Yeah. So it, it, 
a tremendous film. You know, I think the non-linear aspect to it is one of the things that helps lend it to watchability no matter where it is in the movie. That's right, because you pick up on themes like the crapper well, that no, I mean, you don't just, forget that you may not p- pick out otherwise. Well, yeah, but I mean, you know, it's one of those things that you don't have to worry about where the story is because no matter where you pick it up, it's not going to be linear. You know, you don't have to worry about what has gone before yeah. because what has gone before may not have happened yet in the movie. <laughs> yeah. That's right, and, you, and you've got this compartmentalization that actually uh, accentuates what's... It makes you pay attention to what's going on in the moment which is, I know Tarantino's intention, because that's where the magic is going to be found. Right, this movie is almost... You have to watch it more than once, because once you figure out that, okay, this is not going to be a linear progression, you almost have to start watching it multiple times to really get the full effect. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a great... It's a great I'd almost be interested to see somebody recut it linearly just to see how the the weirdness that would I don't result. think it would be as good. No, it wasn't. I, yeah. I'd just be curious to yeah. see it done. I don't know. It's probably been done, I'm sure, but... Uh, oh, yeah. I'd be interested yeah. to watch that and see, okay, here's how this yeah. kind of So happens. you notice that we were drawing a line through some of the great creators. And, and these, it's not a coincidence, Otterites. <laughs> we, we've talked Michael Mann, Otto Preminger, Quentin Tarantino. John Hughes. John Hughes. Boom. These are landmark level directors. Right, they Absolutely. are. I mean, Savage Steve Holland was the one who did Better Off Dead, but, you know, he's a case unto his own. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, somebody that quirky is pretty, probably pretty hard to break into mainstream directing. But right. he does go in, I, I think he ends up more of a television yeah, I think director. So, yeah. uh, and, and directs, I think he became even involved in stuff like Big Bang Theory. Oh, that's uh, possible, yeah. Yeah, some I think so, yeah. television episodes of that, so. So, Francis... The finale. Yes. The yes. way to work this through. Home, home. Oh, listen to us. Listen to that. Let's, let's come back from the far side of the world, shall we? 2002. Oh, very nice. 2003, very nice. directed by Peter Weir, another one of those great, wonderful directors, with Russell Crowe, one of our favorite guys, and Paul Bettany, another one of our favorite guys, Master and Commander of the Far Side of the World. Uh, it's probably the greatest naval movie, British naval movie, ever done. Which is high praise for me because Marlon Brando's 1962 Mutant on the Bounty is pretty high in my opinion. Yeah. That's yeah. that's going to make another, it into this rotation yeah, at some super point. Another well crafted film. Uh, a fantastic movie on that well, one. But and, you know, again, source material is from books. That's which correct. Is, the Aubreyad is what they're kind of calling those twenty plus books uh, by Patrick O'Brien. They all sit beautifully on my shelf in the Baxter Building. You all have seen them many yeah. many times. Uh, it's kind of like knowing that you have got a wine that's worth, say, a million dollars. You drink it slow. I have not finished the... I mean, it's, it's Really? You've 20, not read all of them? Well, I've read the first ten. Really? I, but Because I just not want... I don't want the journey to end. And I know there are many fans of Patrick mm-hmm. O'Brien, like myself, that blow through the books multiple times. And I probably right. will See, do that. See, to me, I, yeah. That's I, there, where there are series I read, that I read over and over. And that's, and that's... You're exactly right. They're that, that good. And... Uh, they are, if the books themselves are very dense with lots of naval, nautical, anachronistic terms. In fact, there's even a book the, called A Sea of Words. It's kind of a companion to the series. <laughs> that's kind of a dictionary of a lot so of stuff. So you figure out what all the sailing stuff means. That's right. And th- that's why the, the books get so much better multiple times when you've read it, when you realize, you know, what a stunsel is and certain things like that yeah, that they I, talk about. I mean, O'Brien does, it's, it's he, he got it. genuine. He's, he's one of the greatest authors that, I mean, he wrote other books than these. 
Yeah. Uh, and I plan on getting them. And he, in fact, he dies right after he finished the 20th book, Blue at the Mizzen. Uh, it was not meant to be the last one, although Jack Aubrey does receive his Admiralcy at the end of that book. So it actually made a pretty good ending. Uh, he had the 21st book he was well into. Uh, he probably had maybe uh, 20% of it done. They published that along with his you know, notes of what he was planning to do on that because there's, you know, he's a great, well-followed author. I mean, he's yeah, one of the great yeah. giants. Uh, and he wrote these books over time, over you know, many, quite a few, many years. Well, 20 books had to be probably at least two decades. Absolutely. Like it was longer than 30, that because years. he didn't really get into the boom, let's keep moving with this until the later books. The first few are much more spread out. And when they realize... Well, most major authors... Uh, you know, published authors, they rarely get to do more than one book a year. Right. And uh, partially that's because of their own process, but it's partially because most publishers don't want you to put out more than one book a year. And that's right. And that's kind of what got to the point where he was doing them, you know, back to back. And because he's telling longer stories. The, right. The, the books themselves, many of them are standalone. Many of them are compartmentalized with, uh, like, they're a trilogy or a quadrilogy. Right. But that's the books. That's the books. We want to that's talk about the, the source movie. material for this magnificent. You, you got all this backstory with a huge expectation, all right? So the, the the time period is the Napoleonic Wars. That's right? correct. This it takes place around eighteen oh five, depending on where you are in the the whole time frame from the books they pulled from. They're pulling from various books, right? Yes, yeah, this film is not from like just the first. This is novel. not an adaptation of the first novel. It's actually. The title comes from the ninth book, Far Side of the World, and most of the story comes from that. It's the chase uh, by the HMS Surprise, which is Jack Aubrey's ship, uh, with the, uh, in the in the movie. It's the French. Uh, it's a French uh, man of war. Not excuse me, a French frigate, heavy frigate, a privateer. Well, it, it's the same thing it's the French she's she's Yankee built in this case but see in the books it's a little different it's actually an American ship they're chasing but it doesn't really matter but they they pull together it was they were hoping to do more than one movie in fact uh, Paul Bettany had said that he for sure uh, had a contract to do more Russell Crowe he had an option to do more they didn't I kind of wish they didn't but the and here's why because they plumbed together so many of the great stuff if you're not going to adapt the whole darn thing one by one you're probably just going to do this, is what they did. You, you put it all together and make one uh, in a very Yeah, they were never way. really able to come up with a satisfactory screenplay for the next film. That's yeah. right, because they, they covered so many of the great things. Uh, they're, they're stealing uh, uh, the whole chase scene around the horn came from a book, Desolation Island. And it was a magnificent scene uh, that they that they pulled. That's yeah. all very different. Well, yeah, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of stuff in that movie that are, are great scenes that... You know, you can easily see where either it could have been part of one book or it could have been pulled from many because a lot of them are not essential to the to the plot necessarily of the chase, but they're great glimpses into shipboard life. There's a lot of that there, and the the real the reason this movie is so great, and the, uh, and the reason the book series is so great is that those two characters they it's the it's probably Aubrey one of the, Maturin. yeah Aubrey Maturin it's, it's called the Aubrey Maturin series really it's not about just the captain it's about the doctor as well and the friendship they 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 yes they the hold. doctor is also the science officer in this case yes that's right <laughs> in many respects that's right yes. and in fact the very first book in the very of the series is when they meet for the first time it's really their story right and that's I think what makes this so compelling is because daggone it this is a you know the, the you could term 
create the term bromance, that's this. These yeah. guys are best friends, uh, and they're together through stick and sin, and the movie picks up on all that. Uh, in fact, when Dr. Maturin is, you know, is wounded by accident at one point, Jack Aubrey, the captain, gives up this obsession he has of chasing this French ship to go save his friend's life. And that's where all of a sudden everything is different. You realize, wait a minute, this is not just a naval right. war uh, yeah, movie. It, this is not just a chase movie. This yeah, is not just a... He announces to him I'll, ahead of time, yeah. I'll grind whatever grist, grist the, the mill, mill requires. Yes. Which is a great uh, a great character scene anyway. Yeah. Right, because the, the doctor team. confronts him. You've gone way past your orders. You, That's right. You, you, you are yeah. beyond... He's, so far he's, beyond your he's the moral design. compass of yes. the, of them, yeah. and yet Jack is the is the demanding one, and yet for but when it's just the two of them, they are they are right. best friends. I mean, and, it's very much the same kind of idea that we talked about in in harm's way, mm-hmm. where he'll sacrifice the ship, he'll sacrifice whatever, he'll exceed his orders, he'll interpret his orders as we're all expendable. Aubrey's doing the same thing. Yeah. I'm interpreting my orders as we're all expendable. I've exceeded my orders weeks ago. Uh, my my orders were only to, to chase him as far as Brazil. We've we we've blown that out of the water. Right, weeks they are ago. literally on the far side of the world. They have gone around the, the yeah. They're in the, the Galapagos. Right. Yeah, and so you know, I've, I've, we're going to you know, I'm, I'm throwing all of that out. We're going to sacrifice this whole crew if we have to. Um, and then he Which ironically, the because that's a very Captain Bly thing, and that's not Aubrey at all. Yeah. He, he he says that, but not really. Yeah. He, then, he he is a very in a way, good that's commander. The one, one failing of this movie that doesn't make sense. That's right. That's not Jack Aubrey. Well, he, no, it doesn't make sense. Never mind the the, the 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 books because nobody knows that. But as far as the the movie captain's motivations, that never really made a whole lot of sense to me. Because it's not well explained. Why does he have to chase this French captain? I mean, the fact that he's British. I mean, you know, no. Brits at this time, that's probably all the motivation you needed. But that's not clear to the they, audience. They give you a few throwaway lines that explain that. Uh, a yeah, heavy, but it's not satisfactory. It's right. Yeah. A heavy yeah. frigate like this in the, in the in Pacific, Pacific can tip the balance of power in Napoleon's fashion. That's that's yeah. that's the intention. It's there. But, but you're this right. This is it's an emotionally a, driven thing. Correct. And that's it, it's just it, not well. That's the only failing. Other than that, and you know, honestly, I can look. I can overlook that because this movie is phenomenal. Again, it is another one of those that has that tremendous cinematography to it. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, the you, storm, uh, epi- you know, where yes. uh, the the mast falls and they have to cut it loose and they lose the the yeah, go around the horn. Yeah, yeah. Warley was the, know, the seaman. I mean, all that stuff. There's just so the much emotion that you bring to that. It's just it's powerful, and yet it is all. One story. It, these are not yes. compartmentalized scenes, although really, you could take them that yeah, way. Yeah, it makes you feel like you're on board the ship with them. Yeah, that's great. I mean, yeah, that it, was deliberate. It, in some ways, the the film is very claustrophobic. You're the, the, you which is deliberate. Yeah, absolutely, I mean, you realize you the cabins on board these ships and the living conditions. These dudes are on top of each other. That's right. right. Um, you know, the the whole thing in, at the Galapagos. It, it, it's an interesting sidebar that almost doesn't fit because you actually get off the ship. Yeah. Uh, but it's a it's a nice uh, vehicle uh, plot device to find the French frigate. It is, yeah. and, and, and to relieve so much of what's been going on. Right, it's you, almost like you have to have you, that. The audience needed to breathe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You have exactly. to breathe. Yeah. So it's a nice plot device to 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 get a little bit in there, and you also develop the friendship between the doctor and the boy, mm-hmm. uh, right. which was really good stuff. 
That's right. Uh, so you know, I really like that. And of course, you know, they're coming back. They have to set loose all of the uh, the the collection that uh, that the Doctor has gathered. The fighting natural. The fighting naturalist. That the Lord Blakeney, actually. Yes, yeah, that's, that's right. Yes. Um, you know, so it, it's great. That's a great bit. It it, it does relieve the claustrophobia. We almost need that as that breathing space, yeah. Martin. Yes. Yeah. And then, there's so many character arcs for so many of those minor characters. It's it. Yes, you have two stars. But it's an ensemble cast as well, and yes. most of those ensemble casts are not known. Uh, they're not name, not known names or faces, but they perform so brilliantly, and yet it's very realistic because the sailing master, Mister Allen, who portray is portrayed so full of life, he's boom shot down as soon as they board the other ship, and right. it's a jarring moment, and that's kind of the intention to say this is not all. Glory shot right in the head, right in the head, yeah, exactly yeah, right. Yeah. And uh, the uh, Peter Calumny, the the young man who's friends with Blakeney, who is promoted to acting lieutenant and leads the boarding party, he doesn't survive, right? Uh, and and neither does uh, uh, neither does Nagel, the guy they flog. The you know, at the end, you show the dead uh, as they bury them after this huge battle. Of course, you have the, the one uh, uh, ensign. Who's too old for his rank? Yeah, who uh-huh. ends up committing yeah. suicide? Right. Uh, who's is utterly incompetent? Yeah, he's a, yeah he he should never have been there. That's right. But I'm sure family obligations put him there. Yeah. And of course, once you get on the ship, you know you're thousands of miles from home. You don't get off the ship until they return, which could be years. That's right. Yeah. This is. ship is England. Yes. Right. And you know, it's, it's part of the the uh, uh, Aubrey speech, and that, that's another huge part of the film is. He encapsulates all of these feelings they yeah. have. They allow yeah. Lucky Jack to uh, to be this larger-than-life, boisterous self that the character is meant to be. Right. And it's it's uh, Russell Crowe just nails it. Oh, I could he not did. imagine. Oh, yeah. Absolutely and nails. Paul Bettany. Uh, and they, yet, they are fantastic. The dinner scene with you know which weevil will you choose? That's right. The lesser of two weevils. Uh, yes. Right. Oh my uh, gosh, that was it, fantastic. It, it, because most movies would have cut that as yes. unnecessary. And, but they respected the source material enough to realize that's the charm of this story. You've got to let those characters breathe. And yes, nothing happens around that table, but damn it if it ain't great. Well, it's 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 characterization. That's right. Yeah. And that's one of the things that that's why this, this movie is movie, so good. It, it is. It is one of the things that makes this movie so good because far too many times a movie like this will drop those bits mm-hmm. and the characters become... Uh, cookie cutters. Oh right. my gosh, we are an hour and seventeen minutes into this episode. Yeah, we're gonna have to stop. I think we do. Uh, so, yes. I mean, great movie. Every one of the movies, all six of these that we have talked about, are absolutely phenomenal movies. Uh, they are great in their own ways for so many different reasons. And if you catch any of them on TV, yeah, you really do. I'm gonna have to get my disc of Master and Commander out soon now and watch it because they. Yeah, I mean, any one of them are worth watching. It's been ages since I watched. From the beginning, oh yeah, and you know you can always. uh, We watched it together once and made. Made chocolate pudding, I think. Well, that, yes, oh, yes, did. that's yes. right. Because there's that moment where they they eat that together. I, I absolutely love that 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 and many 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 other scenes. Yeah, but uh, they are all fantastic movie. movies, all well worth watching. Obviously, you should watch them all from the beginning first, and then you can pick them up. If you have the expanded version of Master Commander, there's six or eight uh, expanded scenes. In fact, I think you can get them all with them added back in. They complete a lot of that shipboard life and stuff like that. Good, good, uh, good. Yes, I realize it was already a long movie anyway. They had to cut some yeah, of these. That's all right. But that's the beauty about DVDs. That's right. You get to see those things and you see that, that the director's original intention that, yeah, 15 more minutes, yeah, it would have slowed things down a little bit, but they were, they're worthy. Kind of like this episode. That's right. <laughs> Sweep a bit, brother. Well, no, I mean, we went... 
15 minutes or more longer than we normally would for That's an episode. Because right. I'm always harping on the under an hour, boys. Yeah, and, I, of course, my captaincy takes us an hour and 20 minutes. To the, yeah. uh, anyway, oh, so, Francis, uh, I think it's time. What's next? All right, next time. We're, you know... 2021 is our year of World War Two. Yes, it's a history episode. It's a history, history episode that we're going to go. We're going to go back to that uh, next time around. We've kind of talked about some of the meta themes that we're wanting to work with here. That's kind of where a lot of the magic is. As we talk about this, we've done a lot of the battle stuff and that's and some of the personalities. We're going to talk about one of those. Last time we did uh, fascism, which was really really great. This next time here, we're going to talk about the Holocaust. Ah, yes, very yeah, important episode. Yeah, this is it's enormous. This you are know, talking about this is an emotional moment, folks. Mm-hmm. It really and, does and, define and, World War II. That's it, absolutely. And I think we're going to we're going to explore that and show why that does because if we're fighting the good fight, this defines what good fight right. really means. We're going to explore that in depth next time. Hope you enjoyed another pointless discussion of eternal questions. Remember, new episodes publish every Friday at noon Eastern. Spread the word. We're on all the major podcast platforms. And leave us a comment or review because that helps others find us. We're on Instagram, Twitter, as well as our website, snakesandotters.com. I'm Martin. And I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. Join us next week. Same snake time, same otter channel.